Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 40, in which we will be exploring the Lapine phrase Fu Inlay, or after moonrise, which is used in Watership Down as a very rough method of timekeeping. How the moon works. First of all, let me apologise if any of what follows seems patronising. I am assuming no awareness of the moon in those listening to this for the sake of clarity, because it is surprising how many people are more or less unaware of what follows. Sunrise and sunset are fairly easy concepts to understand. The first one is the bit where daytime starts, and the second one is where nighttime starts. This isn't very complicated. And the only way this varies is according to the season, with this effect being more pronounced the further from the equator you live. However, the moon is a bit different, and by different, I mean complicated. It rises and sets at a different time each day, relative to the sun, on a nearly 28-day cycle, and this time dictates the phase of the moon. So, beginning with the full moon, this phase occurs when the moon is in the opposite direction from the sun, meaning we see its whole face illuminated. A full moon rises roughly at sunset and sets roughly at sunrise, reaching the highest point in the sky roughly at midnight. It is, therefore, the phase of the moon that is most visible and most noticed in general. A quarter of a lunar month or one week later, a waning half-moon occurs when the moon is to one side of the Earth relative to the sun, meaning we see its left half illuminated in the UK as we are in the Northern Hemisphere. A waning half-moon rises roughly at midnight and sets roughly at noon, reaching the highest point in the sky roughly at sunrise. This phase is therefore far less noticeable. A quarter of a lunar month later, a new moon occurs when the moon is between the Earth and the Sun and is therefore not visible from the Earth. A new moon rises roughly at sunrise and sets roughly at sunset, reaching the highest point in the sky roughly at noon. Basically, the moon is near the sun from our point of view, which is why this is the lunar phase during which solar eclipses can happen, as the moon passes directly in front of the sun. However, most of the time this phase goes completely unnoticed. A quarter of a lunar month later, a waxing half-moon occurs when the moon is to the other side of the Earth relative to the sun, meaning we see its right half illuminated in the UK. A waxing half-moon rises roughly at noon and sets roughly at midnight, reaching the highest point in the sky roughly at sunset. This phase is probably the second most noticeable after a full moon. Obviously, between these four main phases of the moon are phases such as crescent moons, when most of the moon is dark, and gibbous moons, when most of the moon is visible. But, But for simplicity, we will stick with the four main phases. Fuenlay would work. So, how would Fuenlay actually work as a method of very rough timekeeping in southern England? Well, at the full moon, after moonrise would be roughly the period after sunset, so it would basically refer to the evening. Early evening in midwinter, when sunset is about, at about 1600 or 4pm, and late evening at midsummer, when sunset is at about 2100 or 9pm. It would be a useful way for a rabbit of timing evening sylphlay. At the waning half-moon, after moonrise would be the period after midnight. It would therefore be a way of referring to the time between evening and morning sylphlay. 
At the new moon, it would be meaningless, as there is no visible moonrise. The rabbits of Watership Down would presumably have no awareness that the new moon rises roughly with the sun. At the waxing half moon, after moonrise would refer to the early afternoon when the moon is not really very visible as it rises. In fact, moonrise would roughly coincide with Nefrith or noon when the sun is highest in the sky, meaning that this would surely be a far more useful way to measure time. So to summarise, we have a problem. Fuinle means, during each of the four main loser phases, the evening, then after midnight, then basically nothing until the approach of the next full moon. It is a concept that would stop working for the best part of half of each four-week period as the moon would be rising during the day. So what was Richard Adams thinking? The only translation he provides for the term comes right at the start of chapter 4, the departure. Fu presumably means after, so inlay logically must mean moonrise. So why is the black rabbit of inlay? In that context, the word seems to mean death. Are there two words in Lapine that sound the same but have different meanings? This is fairly common in many languages. Or is it one word that changes meaning according to context? We know of two meanings of the word. One definite, moonrise, the other a little more ambiguous, death. So what might inlay, in this case, actually mean? Here's my theory. It is a word associated with darkness, death, fear and fate. It is also a word associated with a changeable and therefore less than predictable event, namely moonrise. After all, there is no guarantee of seeing the moonrise due to the weather. So is dark, changeable, deadly inlay simply the yin to Frith's bright, predictable, life-giving yang? And is the moon and its arrival associated with it simply because it is so much more obvious at night? This would make sense. After all, as humans, we also tend to associate the moon with nighttime, even though it is visible in the sky nearly as much in daytime. Or am I, or am I crediting Richard Adams with a bit too much depth of thought on this matter? Bearing in mind his military experience, it is difficult to believe that he was not aware of exactly how the moon varies each month. So here, I will defer to my partner in crime, John Ruths. The Moon and the Military First off, thanks very much for letting me talk about this. Also, I think your ideas of how and why inlay can mean different things are spot on, and it makes sense that a certain unpredictability is woven into the meeting. To the military, at least to an army which is mostly on the ground, the moon and how much light it are very important. In ancient times, fighting was pretty rare at night. Uh, you'd have to guess that it was typically not planned for. I think the main operation ever planned for at, light, at night was just defending your area. However, one ancient historian claimed that during the Battle of Thermopylae, the Spartans attempted to infiltrate the Persians' camp at night. Later, the Romans attempted some operations at night, but without much apparent success. And later still, Vlad the Impaler took on the Turks at night, but was apparently successful. Night vision devices changed how things were done at night. Uh, for the U.S. military, this began in the 1960s. In the U.S. Army today, it's normal for each soldier to have a night vision device, and certain types of operations are performed almost exclusively during the hours of darkness. If you have night vision and your adversary does not, it makes sense to conduct an operation that puts them at a disadvantage. Uh, 
And I think anyone would do this in any, any kind of conflict. Even today, the moon still means a great deal. Uh, most night vision devices, also known as NVDs, simply amplify available light. So a moonless night is still not a lot of fun, even with night vision. And on the flip side of that, a full or even a three-quarter moon looks very much like daylight when you're using NVDs. It also means that individual light sources can be seen from much greater distances. So an enemy lighting up a cigarette can be observed at night, even without night vision, but with it, it can be seen at a significant distance. This, in turn, has impacted what we call light discipline within all military forces. And the way to think about that, basically, is the less light you use at nighttime, the better off you are. Of course, now we can easily track the moon with computers and smartphones. Uh, I joined the Army a few years before the Internet and cell phones became very common. Uh, it's very much like use of a compass on a map for land navigation before GPS technology was common. Now, some folks can still navigate with a map and compass, but to others, uh, it's kind of a lost art. Before the Internet and smartphones, I always took a farmer's almanac to the field. An almanac always contained enough information on the moon to be quite useful. It would tell you uh, when the moon would come up, when it would set, the light they would provide, that sort of thing. Almanacs have been around here in the U.S. going back to the 1790s. So taking one to the field uh, always gave me the information that I needed. Even an adversary that lacks significant night vision capability will still use the moon and the light that it provides. Uh, I can tell you uh, that in a place like Afghanistan, moonlight illumination of about 70% or more means that the likelihood of a rocket attack goes up to the point that you goes up to the point that you expect it to happen. So moonlight can be dangerous, but at the same time, you can also predict some of what an adversary can do and you can better prepare for it in that way. For the rabbits of Watership Down, and we might also call them Richard Adams rabbits, I am sure that they are of the belief that at least having some moon to see by is safer for them. Some alil, and owls in particular come to mind here, have night vision that is quite effective. Having little or no light to see by, when at least some alil can see quite effectively, would place our rabbit heroes at a pretty significant disadvantage. So having some moonlight to see uh, would definitely put them in a, in a position that's less disadvantageous to them. I would also guess that a Richard Adams rabbit would have current moon information built into their heads. So, uh, you know, we all know that what the moon does each, each night changes just in very small increments. So I'd guess that uh, the rabbits would have, they generally track the moon rise, the moon set, and about how much moon that provides each night. An analysis of actual uses of Fu Inlay in Watership Down. Thank you, John. A pragmatic conclusion that I think we can go with. Basically, that the rabbits of Watership Down are aware of the cycles of the moon and time events roughly by them as and when it is pragmatic to do so. So, how many times in Watership Down are events actually timed by this method? First, and most significantly, the departure from Sandalford is timed this way. In Chapter 4, The Departure, they are described as starting to gather, quote, an hour after moonrise and a good while before midnight, end quote. At that time of year, May, this indicates that there may have been a near full moon. 
Sunset would be between 8 and 9 p.m., meaning they set off at 9 to 10 p.m. Then in chapter 5, in the woods, we are told, quote, it was getting on toward moonset when they left the fields and entered the wood, end quote. Moonset would be around 5 a.m., coinciding roughly with sunrise, so the events between entering the wood and arriving at the endbourne have that much time, about an hour or two, let's say, because the sun rises as they reach the endbourne. Is this enough time? It's taken them about six hours to get to the woods from about 10pm to 4am minimum. And the terror of the woods, along with the telling of the story to calm them down, is now going to take, say, two hours at most. I do have to question the timings here a little, in particular entering the woods at nearly moonset. This does make me question how well Adam's applied knowledge of moonrise and, and set, in spite of his military experience. In chapter 30, A New Journey, Hazel decides to skirt Ephrafa to get to the river test, Fuinle. At the start of the chapter, this journey is described as happening five weeks after the departure from Sandalford. This is one and a quarter lunar months later, which implies there is a waning half-moon, which would rise at about midnight. This makes sense. Moving on to chapter 35, Groping. Captain Campion refers to a mark being on, quote, Nefrith and Fuinle Silfle, end quote. I'm sorry? How would that work? Or is this just a lazy shorthand for noon and midnight? In such a military and precise warren as Ephrafa, something about this doesn't quite ring true, unless Fuinle really is used as a slang for midnight. In chapter 39, which we will cover in the next episode, there is a reference to Bigwig swimming through the bridge Fuinle. Now this may be a real problem because the events of Bigwig's incursion into Ephrafa have happened, it seems, during the week after a waning half-moon. This means that Moonrise has been moving from midnight to sunrise. Yet the escape from Ephrafa took place at evening Silfle, about 9 to 10pm the previous day. Is it feasible that it took six hours between the escape from Ephrafa and Bigwig swimming under the bridge? Considering the size of the area covered and the rate of flow of the river test, absolutely not. And consider this quote. quote As darkness closed in, the rain stopped. Hazel and Blackavar went back to the bank of the pool below the bridge. The sky cleared and the oppression lifted as the thunder moved away eastwards. But it was Fu Inlay before Bigwig himself came through the bridge with silver and fiver. End quote. This simply doesn't work. Adams has obviously imagined these events taking place over the course of an English summer evening, but his mention of Fuinle here, according to the evidence, means that Bigwig swam under the bridge at approaching sunrise the following day as it was growing dark. With great regret, I have to conclude that Richard Adams was using the phrase Fuinle here without really thinking it through, and that this also applied in Chapter 4. A negative conclusion to an episode on a negative theme but it still sounds good. The analysis of Fuenle has brought us full circle, with the last use of it in the book happening by coincidence in the first chapter of part four, Hazel Ra. Next time we begin going through the final part of Watership Down, beginning with the horrific events on the River Test. Mm -hmm.